That was a long way to get there and worth every minute. It broke down to like 1.3 uses of that word per minute. And we are. <laughs> having a moment there, aren't you? Put poison in their drink. If your arm was behind your back, it was less expensive. Give that to me. You mean, wait a second. Hello, everybody. Loopy, doopy, coopy, hang on, sloopy. It's another edition of Smart Drivel with your co-host, Kurt Schneider. And John Ellenthal. Welcome, everyone. Before we start today, we just want to tell you all that, A, we really appreciate your fandom of this podcast. Listenership. And, and two, we would love it if you guys could be engaged with us. Please log on to our Twitter account at Smart Drivel or our Instagram, Smart Drivel, our LinkedIn, Smart Drivel. You're getting theme here, Facebook. Give us comments, suggestions, critiques, anything you want to do. And also, please rate us on Apple Podcast and give us a five-star rating so we can move up and you can get more Smart Drivel in your life. Well, I think you did a very nice job of begging there, Kurt, without it sounding like you were begging. But for the avoidance of doubt, Kurt was begging. We would love to hear from you. And we would love your ratings. Thank you. Anyway, John, let's get on with today's topic. Why don't you lay it out, Kurt, and then we can dive in. So the idea is, and we've actually referenced this in, in previous podcasts a bunch. We've sprinkled them throughout previous podcasts. And we thought, why don't we do a whole episode of fun phrases and sort of their origin, their etymology, where they come from, why, and just throw out a couple and go from there. What do you think, John? I think a lot of people are drawn to the stories behind these phrases that if you stop and think about them, they kind of make no sense in current times. But there's a backstory. And I think the fun thing about the backstory is not only does it provide some context for what it could mean, but oftentimes those backstories are wrong because it's very difficult to figure out where exactly same something came from. But there are some colorful stories behind some popular expressions that we are ready to dig into. Kurt, why don't you kick us off? with a fun expression and its wonderful backstory. Well, I'm going to kick us right off. I'm going to sort of grab you by your, uh, as I like to say, your emotional lapels here. (laughs) The word that we throw around a lot, even though we probably shouldn't, but people throw it around a lot. And I'm not going to say it out loud because this is a nice podcast, but I'll spell it F-U-C-K, John. It's a word we use all the time. Someone brought up the topic of Scarface on a call the other day. And as you know, that word is used quite a bit in Scarface. And someone went to the trouble of ranking movies all time based on how frequently that word is used. And because all movies are different lengths, it even broke it down to the number of times that word was used per minute in the movie. And I think, I think in the case of Scarface, it was used more than 200 times. And I think it broke down to like 1.3 uses of that word per minute. In your private life, do you use that word more than 1.3 times per minute, Kurt? No. In the Middle Ages, England, the Dark Ages, there was not one king in all of England. Each sort of county, if you want to call it, had their own king. And the king owned everything in that area. Right, John? They owned the peasants, the fields, the crops, everything. And if you're a peasant on the king's land and you wanted to have children to start a family, you would have to request permission. And if you got permission 
on your door was granted something that was nailed to it that said you were allowed to fornicate under consent of the king. And that's how we get F-U-C-K. You are allowed to fornicate under consent of the king. Wow. So are our children illegitimate because we don't have formal consent of the king? Or are we good because we don't live in a country where there's a king? I think we're good now. All right. But you so, know what? Let me just stay right there, John. I'll just because I'm on. You want to give a second one? Second one is shit. And shit is also an acronym. So a couple hundred years ago. I think it's you, pretty shitty that you're going back to back here and didn't give me a chance to even go. Okay, but please yeah. tell us. No, no, no. Please tell us what shit means. Well, I just think they kind of go together. Also an acronym. And fertilizer, very important, especially when we were an agrarian society. And fertilizer would get transported to different places to use it. You could buy it. You'd have to get it there. The problem is fertilizer, if it stays in stores, it's a methane gas that gets released. And if it's going and there are, if it's in a closed environment on a train or a horse, whatever, it would then explode. So they figured out it's got to be on the top of whatever they do with openings on top so the methane gas can go out into the air. So it's stamped onto the side was store high in transit. Shit. Okay, I'll stop for now. Why don't you tell us about mucus and other excremental functions since you're I'm linking these things? Too. All right. Well, those are really good ones. And I agree that they are a very popular part of the American lexicon these days, certainly in our cases. All right, I'll give you one. I think this is a good example of an expression where we really don't know the actual background story. So I can't say that this is the answer, but I think these are great explanations. Kurt, I would like you to mind your own beeswax. Do you know where that comes from? I don't. Please tell me, because I've used that expression often. Obviously, it means mind your own business. And there are people who think that it's just another way of saying mind your own business. But there are plenty of stories behind it, including back when uh, hygiene was not at its all-time greatest a few centuries ago. A lot of people had acne scars on their face. There's also some suggestion that this was used to deal with uh, scarring from smallpox. But women would take beeswax, which is still a popular part of facial products. What is it? Burt's Bees? Burt's Bees. They should sponsor Burt's Bees. Burt's Bees. And this episode is brought to you on spec by Burt's Bees. In any event, <laughs> women would put beeswax on their face to smooth out their complexion. And if you were having a conversation with that person and you stared at their face or got a little too close, the woman might say, mind your own beeswax. What would also happen, Kurt, is if that woman had too much beeswax on and she smiled, the beeswax would crack and she would be cracking a smile. It was also the case that when a woman sat too close to the fire with beeswax on and it would start to melt, she was losing face. In your research on bees, did you come up with the bees' knees? I mean, where did that come from? Do bees even have knees? Um, I regret to inform you that my study of the bee category ended with my discussion here of beeswax. Here's one that I found. There's a lot that have to do with drinking, and it's not because I was researching drinking that I found these. But How are you doing your research, Kurt? Uh, talking to people, John. Talking oh. to a lot of people and gathering information. I, I, I like the oral histories more than anything else. I'm kind of like Homer, you know, when he wrote the Odyssey. He just talked to a lot of people. I do like to hear what people have to say. Okay, so I also use the Google now and then. But this one I had always heard about, you know, mind your P's and Q's. Oh, that's and such a good one. 
And the idea, it, there's actually two ideas. One is that it's from England, pence and quids. Quid is a slang for pound over in England. So mind your money, right? Mind your pence and your quids. Don't go be a spendthrift. But the one I always liked was instead that ale in England in the old pubs was served in pints and quarts mugs. And if you were drinking too much, I would say, mind your P's and Q's, mind your pints and quarts. And if you were in that same pub, John, and you happen to have your own pub that you went to an awful lot, you kept your mug there. And in your mug was baked a whistle. Do you know why? When you wanted to get the barman's attention, because pubs were allowed back then as they are yeah. now, you would blow whistle, hence your wet your whistle. That's a very good one. I have never heard the wet, wet I've heard of the P's and Q's, but I had never heard of wetting the whistle. So that's a really nice addition to that story. When you were talking a moment ago about how you did your research for these things and how you have this Homeric quality to you, it reminded me of another pub-related origin story. Back in those old days, politicians needed feedback from the public to determine what issues people considered really important. What they would do is, you know, no phones, no TVs, no radios, no social media. The politicians would send their assistants to local pubs to see what people were talking about. And they were told to go sip some ale and listen to people's conversations and political concerns. Go sip some ale to hear what people are talking about Go sip became gossip. Yes. And that is so we have a whole pub chapter going on in this episode. I think gossip, that is fantastic. I think the was a conflation, conflagration of of words into it. Because when you were talking about uh, mind your own beeswax, I was just thinking it was people who had had a few pints were saying, try to say mind your own business, mind your own business, beeswax. You know, that's as likely the origin story as the one I told you, although it's a little bit less colorful. I'm going to give you a great one. You may have noticed this, that pictures of George Washington, it's him behind his desk or a desk and him with one arm behind your back. You've seen many pictures where the person who's having their picture taken has their arm behind their back. And that is because the way that painters charge for their services back then is they charge by the number of limbs that were being painted. If your arm was behind your back, it was less expensive to have your painting done than if both arms were visible. That is how we got the expression, it will cost you an arm and a leg. Love it. So the more limbs, the more expense. <laughs> I love that. And you can now see that in a bunch of these portraits. I'm going to go back and look and see how many people have their arms and legs out. It is actually that same principle has carried through to the 20th and 21st century. Have you ever watched The Simpsons, John? You know what? I have seen The Simpsons, and I certainly know all about it. However, I have never been a regular watcher of okay, The Simpsons. Well, but The Simpsons, Family Guy, etc. Love Family Guy. Animation. The hands don't have all five fingers. They usually have three fingers or two fingers because for animation, you charge by the fingers as well. And it's a lot cheaper to just do fewer fingers. Oh, by the way, do you know why when we cheers, we hit glasses? I don't. No, I've never thought of that. It's because, again, in the Middle Ages, where a lot of these all started from, the provenance of most of these, you didn't know if your rival that you were about to drink with 
put poison in their drink when they gave it to you. So by clinking glasses, some of your fluid goes in their cup, uh-huh. and some of their fluid goes in your cup. And you did that enough so that enough fluid would go in and then you'd both drink. So he would not or she would not drink out of a cup if it were poisonous. Huh. So it was a prophylactic against being poisoned. Exactly. And it's just like shaking hands, same thing, right? To see if there's a knife in your arm. That's why they shook hands. But I was talking about drinking. And you know that great Frank Sinatra song, I'll have one for my baby and one for the road? One for the road. So when you were getting executed in England, you had to go down Oxford Street and you went down the same road. And beforehand, you could stop at a pub and have a drink. So you got one for the road. You were able, it was your last drink. You had it and you went. Doesn't that relate to falling off the wagon too? Weren't you being taken up the road on a wagon? You were getting off the wagon to have your last drink before you got executed. So isn't that why we say falling off the wagon? You know what? If that's not the reason, it is now. That's well done. All right. So sticking with the colonial times, where apparently every modern expression finds its uh, finds its birth, one of my all-time favorites, Kurt, is an expression, really a, a reference to somebody that we use all the time that has a great story. In the 1700s, houses were a bit more modest than they are now. They were quite a bit smaller, and they were mostly consisted of one room. And the spaces needed to accommodate a lot of activities, so they were often multi-purpose. There was a board, which was basically the family's dining table that was held up against the wall, almost like a Murphy bed or an ironing board. In any event, there was this board up against the wall, which was the dining table, and there was only room for one chair. So when the board came down, the head of the household, who had probably been out in the fields doing manual labor all day to help sustain the family, was given, or there was a guest, the guest or the patriarch of the family would sit in that chair during the meal. And to sit in the chair basically meant you were important and you were in charge. And if you were sitting in the chair, you were called the chairman. And in today's business world, we use the expression chairman or chairman of the board to indicate the person who is in charge. So chairman of the board comes from chairman of the board from the dining table or board that was used for family meals where there was only one chair and the patriarch or most important person sat in the chair, Kurt. So how do we get board of directors then? Because I thought that was chairman of the board, board of directors. Maybe the term chairman of the board and everybody else around the table came to be known as the board. I don't know. That's what I'm thinking. Well, we might be right. And in the case of all of these origin stories, we might not be right. But But most importantly, we need to be colorful more than right. There's a lot. Yes, we've been proven wrong many times in the past. There's a lot about food and that same time. So you have upper crust, which is... On the bread, the part that was the best was, and the people who had the most prestige or power or money got the top part of the bread. So they were the upper crust. And then on the other end was the expression humble pie. You know, I'm going to eat humble pie. May I ask you a question? Yes. Before you tell us about humble pie, may I tell you something else that's bread crust related? Yes. Because we're never going to do better from a transition standpoint than that. You and I seem to make reference with alarming frequency that back in old the olden days, men and women only took baths a couple times a year. Yes. For some reason, that seems to come up. So women kept their hair covered while men shaved their heads to prevent you know, lice and bugs and wore wigs. Well, wealthy men could afford particularly nice wigs, and these wigs were made of wool. And since they couldn't wash the wigs, to clean them, 
what they would do is they would carve out a loaf of bread and leaving only the crust, they would put their wig into the crust and they would actually put it in the oven. They would heat it to clean it and the heat would make the wool big and fluffy, hence the term big wig. Well, first of all, I love that expression, but big wig comes from stuffing the wig into hollowed out bread and putting it into a fire? Yeah, basically the shell was what held the wig. I get that. I'm just, bread seems to be an odd choice to to cook in. I don't think it was cooking. I think it was, I, I think you cook things that you intend to eat. And I don't think that anybody ever ate their wig, although we have the expression, I'll eat my hat. We talked about humble pie, John. Actually, humble without the H is another word for intestines or sweetbreads or whatever you want to call the inside guts of an animal, which, of course, is the lowest piece that you would eat or the last piece you'd eat of the meat. So the people who could not afford anything or used to be able to afford it but can't now could only eat humble pie, which then became humble pie. You eat humble pie. Wow. Uh, this is one of these moments where my decision to lead a lar- have, have a largely plant-based diet has been reinforced by that story. <laughs> I because think that's a smart decision. The word disemboweling seemed to come to mind as you were talking. How many times did people make the mistake when they were younger and they saw on the menu sweetbreads? Ooh, that's not bad. Oh, I'll have God, that. Sounds good, what? yeah. What the hell did I order? Kurt, what is your favorite card game? I would say it's poker, John. Believe it or not, playing cards have been around. Well, it's not unbelievable at all. Playing cards have been around for a long time, Kurt. And there was a time that there was a tax levied when purchasing playing cards. But the tax itself was only applicable to the ace of spades. So what people did to avoid paying the tax is they would purchase decks of 51 cards instead. They would not have an ace of spades to avoid the tax. Now, as you know, most games do require 52 cards. So these people were thought to be inferior, stupid in some way, because they weren't, quote, playing with a full deck. Give that to me. You mean, wait a second. So they, in order to not pay the tax, they would- Which only applied to the Ace of Spades. They'd take it out of the deck. Merchants would sell decks of 51 cards, or people would ask to buy decks of 51 cards just to avoid the tax which, of course, makes some games unplayable, and they were thought to be stupid. I love Perhaps. that. I, you just reminded me of something about deck of cards. This right. has nothing to do with a phrase, so I'm sorry. But as phrases should do, they make you think of other things. So I don't know which one it is, but every deck of cards has the four greatest warrior kings or kings in battle of all time, and it is King David, Charlemagne, Julius Caesar, and Alexander the Great. Pretty cool, huh? And apparently what they're holding, like the spade or the sword or whatever, was their weapon of choice. So I have to go back Uh, and look at a deck of cards. Sorry, may I ask you a question? You think if Alexander had lived to 64 and had gone on to do a bunch of mediocre things, he would not be called Alexander the Great? Okay, let's get back to phrases. Kurt, you got one? Well, turn a blind eye. Ooh, tell me about that one. So, well, we know turn a blind eye is basically to, to not look at something and let it go if it's either nefarious, illegal, or just not what you want to do. I'm turning a blind eye to that situation. Horatio Nelson, the great English naval commander, was blind in one eye. 
And he would go out there and there was this one big battle in Copenhagen or something like that. And he was in the battle and his superior, who was also an admiral, they were both admirals, thought, oh boy, we're outmanned, we're outnumbered, we should go away. So he raised on his ship the, the colors to say, let's retreat. Nelson, on purpose, held his periscope or his telescope up to his blind eye and said to the person next to him, I don't see any flags that say we need to retreat. Let's go. And he went full board ahead and they actually ended up winning the battle. But he was known to turn a blind eye and that was putting his blind eye of something. He did it on purpose. I've got one for you that I think you're really going to like because it's an expression that sounds like it's dirty. But it's not. Okay, so back in the heyday of sailing ships, Kurt, when all warships and a lot of freighters also carried cannons on deck, iron cannons. Now, these cannons fired round iron cannonballs, and you needed to keep a bunch of cannonballs near the cannon in case you needed them quickly. The problem was, what did you do to prevent the cannonballs from rolling all over the deck? They ultimately came up with this storage system where they stacked the cannonballs into these little square pyramids. I think there were 30 cannonballs per pyramid. And to keep the bottom layer of cannonballs in the pyramid in place, they came up with this metal plate, which they called the monkey. But they knew they couldn't make the monkey out of iron because the iron monkey and iron cannonballs would quickly rust together. So they decided to make the monkey out of brass. What they didn't realize, however, is that brass, when it gets cold, contracts much faster than iron. So whenever the temperature dropped, the little indentations in the monkey that were holding the bottom layer of cannonballs would shrink, sending the cannonballs all over the deck. And that is where we get the expression, it's cold enough to freeze the balls off a brass monkey. It's from cannonballs, not from the balls of a monkey, which of course are not brass. What do you think of that one, Kurt? Wow, <laughs> that was a long way to get there and worth every minute. So I think Brass Balls is a good place to end for today. <laughs> I think this was a fun discussion, John. We're not going to discuss Brass Knuckles then, apparently. Uh, we can in later ones. We can bring all these up because there are a okay, lot. I just, want, I just wanted to build off the Brass Monkey. So I would like you to commit to me right now that you are going to use the term cold enough to freeze the balls off a Brass Monkey today. Will you uh, do that? Yes, I will find, hopefully find something that is cold and I will absolutely do that. And I would like you to eat humble pie today. That offends my sensibilities. Can you give me another challenge like to eat some upper crust? That okay. I can do. <laughs> you need to have one for the road. You know what? One of the nice things about this podcast is we started it from scratch. You know where that expression comes from? No, tell me. It's actually from the world of sports where the starting line was scratched into the ground at the start of a race. And that's starting from scratch. But you know what we should do now? We should throw in the towel, Kurt. Also from boxing. That's right. So the, the sponge or towel that was used to wipe off the boxer in between rounds, when that boxer had enough, his corner literally threw in the towel. This so, is the right time to throw in the towel on this episode, Kurt. That it is, John. Good way to bring that in. So again, we promise the drivel and hope for the smart. Yes. And we do want you to please either opine on where we went wrong today or give us some of your own and maybe we'll use them in the next podcast, but we'd like to hear from you. We intentionally hide mistakes in each one of our podcasts to make it more interesting and engaging for yeah, our Easter listeners. It's, it's, yeah, it's Easter eggs. It's a bit of an activation strategy for Kurt and me. So when we make mistakes, don't think that we got it wrong on purpose. Of course, we know the right answer. <laughs> we just put that out there so people reach out and say, you idiots, Roll Doll didn't write Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Ian Fleming did. And it worked beautifully the other day with the listener. So yeah. please 
tweet at us, Instagram us, rate us. We will be back next week with another episode of Smart Dribble, and Kurt summed it up beautifully. We promise the dribble. We hope for the smart. We hope your week is filled with all kinds of smart dribble. Thank you for listening. Goodbye, guys. Thank you. Thank you.